Well, good morning to you all. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And we will be examining the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, I'll read from verse 16 to 20, but spend time in verses 18 to 20 this morning. The Great Commission. Hear the word of God as it comes to you. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. In other versions, it, in fact in the Greek it actually says, some hesitated. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always to the end of the age let us pray father in heaven in this short space of time we seek to examine the grand the great commission we don't have all the time allocated to us today but we pray that in this short space of time you would enable us to Gain an understanding through your spirit of the Great Commission. And I pray, O oh dear God, that even as the word of God is preached and expounded on, that your spirit may be doing a work in all our hearts and minds. And that we would be opened to a new understanding that we have not grasped in the past and that you would ensure that your church marches on by the instruction of the word of God through the application of the person of the spirit and that we would be sanctified and grown from glory to glory I pray all these things in Jesus name Amen when we think of Christmas, as we see people partying their heads off, we really think in terms of the Great Commission. We really think in terms of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we really, we really think that we have before us a task unfinished. There remains a work for us. 
as we have been going through the Christmas series together, I hope you are able to trace the journey that we have taken. We first looked at the trouble around Jesus' birth and infancy from Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 to 23. Secondly, which was last week, we looked at the humility of Christ and examined why he really was born from Philippians 2, verses 3 to 8. Now, thirdly, we hope to round off with the Great Commission. Because really, this is where Christmas points to. Christmas is about the birth of the Savior, who ushered in the kingdom of God and preached it to the lost. And as a demonstration of prophecies made about him, he lived a righteous life, went to the cross and died the most cruel death on the cross, and was resurrected on the third day for our justification and a public display of victory over sin and death. After that, when all authority had been given to him, he said, go and proclaim this truth to all the world. Now the narrative is set forth, this, this narrative that we are looking at, is set forth after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you just track back a bit to Matthew 28 verse 8 to 10, it's highlighted there. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go in Galilee, to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And verse 16 to, to 17 is the bedrock of the Great Commission. After the, the, uh, uh, the, the angel had told them to, uh, sorry, after Jesus had told them to, uh, to go and tell his brothers, we see now that his brothers in verse 16 are now gathered in Galilee at the mountain. We don't know which mountain it was. And the Bible says when the 11, because there used to be 12, now they're 11, one betrayed the Lord and hung himself. And so there were 11. The mountain is not known. When they saw him, they worshipped some hesitated and Jesus came and said to them and thus he presented the great commission and here's the question why is the great commission so great and I want to bring forth to you dear friends three three points why it is great first of all it is because of the commissioner Secondly, it is because of the command, which is fourfold. And I'll highlight all those commands. And thirdly, it is because of the covenantal promise. Firstly, we see the commissioner. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this 
seems like a mirror of Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 to 11 where we read and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross therefore God has highly exalted him to the name uh, sorry has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father this is what Jesus meant Jesus the commissioner this is what he meant when he says all authority has been given to me it was in his resurrected state where he's addressing the disciples and what he simply means is that previously before he had accomplished the work on the cross he could not boldly say or confidently say now this does not mean that jesus had no authority in his pre-existing state this does not mean that jesus had no authority even as he was walking the earth what is spoken about here is that he has now accomplished the work that he had been given by god the father and henceforth he moves on to say all authority it is not limited to earth alone it is in heaven and don't be confused by this statement since his authority has been given by the father he still remains under the father's authority he doesn't take the father's position in the godhead read let me read for you first corinthians chapter 15 verse 22 to 28 when paul is talking about the resurrection and the resurrection the, the resurrection of the dead for as in adam all die so also in christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order christ the first fruits then it is coming those who belong to the to christ sorry then at his coming those who belong to christ then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to god the father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet the last enemy to be destroyed is death for god has put all things in subjection under his feet but when it says all things are put in subjection it is plain that it is he is expected he's accepted who put all things in subjection under him when all things are subjected to him then the son himself will also be subjected to him who puts all things in subjection under him that god may be all in all John Calvin says that when they learn that he to him they all their services is the governor of heaven and earth this alone was abundantly sufficient for preparing them to rise superior to all oppositions so what does this mean to to us today since to them that this commission was given they are now with the Lord 
and the age after them, and the age after them, and the age after them. What does it mean to the age now? It means that we go with confidence to preach the gospel to people who have never heard it. An example that I want to give is usually when I cast my eyes around Westgate bus stop. There's so many people. It's teeming with people. And it's quite possible that many who stand there, if not all, have never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't know it. And I was telling Clive and Majita the other day, I was saying, but sometimes our flesh is so averse to preaching the gospel such that we cannot even commit to 30 minutes in a week or even an hour with tracts and pamphlets going there just to talk to people and share the good news. You're not going to convert people. The converting does not, is not done by you. You're going to share the gospel, the good news. Because that's what Christians do. That's what those who are redeemed do. They look for opportunities and seek for opportunities to share the gospel with neighbor and kin alike. And the truth is, dear friends, this gospel must be shared with urgency. It must be shared with diligence, with tears, with hope, with endurance. Because many who you are going to reject this message. But because God is the one who saves, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. We are to go. Because all authority has been given to Christ. Why is the church sleeping? Why is the church in a snooze? When we could, people are like, I'm bored. I've got nothing to do. <laughs> you see these people posting, I'm bored. I've got nothing to do. Well, why don't you preach the gospel? Secondly, I want us to look at the command. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this was the commissioner, the king of kings, the lords of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ, the very God of very God, our elder brother, our brother, our friend. Verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The command hasn't stopped. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Friends, when we look at this text, we're faced with two choices. We can either spend weeks and years examining what, what it means to make disciples of all nations. And baptize them, etc, etc. Or we can simply expound with what's there in the text and rely on God's word, which is applied to our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
So without further ado, go. In the Greek, it's peruo. Poreuo, which means to go from one place to another. See, the gospel is not static. Church planting is not static. You are to move from one place to the other, actively seeking out people and evangelizing them. If we do not go to the people, they will not come to us. If we, if we do not go, they will not hear the gospel. If you read the gospel accounts, Jesus was seeking out people. And this is why at the end of it all, you saw large crowds accompanying him. Even the acts of the apostles, they were to go out and preach the good news of the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the lost, to the ones who have no hope at all. To the ones who have no God in the world. Do you know that there are people right now with no God? And it is a terrible state to be. And you could be a vessel through which they are blessed with the gospel. Friends, we who are in this age must do the same as well. If we, are, if we are to be said that we're disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to go into Harare, go out into Zimbabwe, go out into Africa, into the world, and make disciples. The word disciple simply means a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one who believes in Christ, believes in what he taught, rests on Christ's sacrifice, and receives and retains his spirit and imitates his example. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. I'm a disciple of Christ. Best believe you must see these marks. That one, they have rested on Christ's sacrifice. They are saved. And two, they receive and retain his spirit. There's a Christ-like spirit about them. That is unexplainable. And then thirdly, they imitate his example. That's a disciple of Christ. In other words, you see God's glory or God's grace coming out from them. They exude God's grace in Christ-likeness. And it's a gradual, constant growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a disciple. One who is not portraying these things and one who is not growing in this area must be concerned. Must be concerned. And making disciples of all nations is primarily founded on evangelism. We do that by the help and aid of Christ, empowered by the Spirit, where there's conversion, when somebody turns from sin and turns to the Lord. Regeneration. 
when the spirit is doing a work in their soul and they turn from the things that they previously used to do and turn to Christ in repentance and faith. That is conversion. So we are to evangelize. There has to be conversion. Conversion is of God. It's not of us. We are to labor, praying, trusting, preaching, doing all we can within the bounds of Scripture to see the Great Commission expand in Zimbabwe. And then baptism. After conversion, baptism. They are to be baptized. And I'm not going to spend time trying to debunk the Presbyterians because they've got a different view of the Great Commission or any other denomination. I'm going to stick to the, to the text. The text says, Go therefore, make disciples. Evangelism, conversion, baptism. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. And of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And when he says all nations, the Greek word is ethnos, which means ethnicity. All ethnicities. We must not be ones who are given to ungodly favoritism, picking and choose who to preach to. But of course, sometimes, even in our fears, there are certain people we are afraid to reach out to the gospel. Let me give an example. When faced with a choice, you are most likely to reach out to someone who is poorer rather than someone who will challenge you intellectually. People are drinking beer in that Ford Ranger. And then there's a lady who's sitting there where selling tomatoes. The temptation <laughs> is that as we are going to evangelize, our, our inclination is to say, mm, you know what? Let me go to that lady. <laughs> because these ones will challenge me. But the Bible says, go to all nations without fear. Even the ones who are in a Ford Ranger, don't be afraid of them. Because they too need the gospel. Because sometimes we may miss an opportunity to minister to them because of the way we process these things. Baptizo, which is the word for baptize, is to immerse, to, to, to immerse the disciples of Jesus Christ through church membership must administer baptism of those who have been made disciples. Those who have been converted, it's pretty simple. It's not that complicated. We just must administer baptism to those who have been converted. 
Anthony, you came and you said you're a Christian. Gave us a testament of salvation. So fruit in your life. Baptize you. You're baptized. You're baptized. <laughs> you're baptized in China. <laughs> That's the point. Baptizing. And even if, even if you're baptized in China, we do believe that the church there has seen sufficient evidence that this one is a Christian. So we don't annul their baptism or say, no, that's not, that's, that's invalid. Well, to baptize them in the name of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. To signify that their salvation is founded upon the Godhead. And they belong to the Godhead. Listen to John Gill as he comments on this. He says, by the authority of these three divine persons who all appeared and testified their approbation of the administration of this ordinance at the baptism of Christ. And as they are to be invocated in it so the persons baptized baptized not only profess faith in each divine person but they are devoted to their service and worship and are laid under obligation to obedience when you are baptized you are saying i'm now under the rulership and the authority of god and so I must be quick to apply myself in obedience to be under God himself. That's why it's important. Baptism is important. When you are struggling with your faith or struggling with sin or whatever it is, or you're swaying or you're straying, one of the things that we ask about is your baptism. When you were baptized, what were you saying? What were you meaning? You must be under. I'm now under a new authority. I'm no longer under Satan. I'm no longer walking the paths of this world. In fact, I should detest the paths of this world. I should hate the, world, the way the world works. I should hate the way my flesh desires to overcome what God has done in me. why it means that's what it means to be baptized in the name of the father and of the son and of the spirit we don't baptize you into the father the son and the spirit no 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 that happens in salvation you're baptized in the name it signifies but we see here that there's also a teaching aspect. So we saw, go, therefore, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 28, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There is also an aspect of teaching. The church must be the center of Christian education. Today, 
the world thinks that it can teach. The world thinks that it can teach about anything and everything. Hence, the church has been pushed aside. But is that it, dear friends? I, I want to ask you this morning. Is that how things should be? Because in, in this great commission, there is the teaching aspect. The church must be the center of teaching. How could it be when many churches have abandoned teaching? They've abandoned teaching about the family. What is the family? What constitutes a family? Raising children. Marriage. Sin. What is sin? What is disobedience? What does it mean that someone is living in sin and needs to repent? The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? Life here on earth. How is one meant to conduct themselves as they patiently wait uh, of, uh, as they patiently wait for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ? Grief. How are to, how are to handle grief? Sickness. Disease. The world is the one that tells you, oh no, you know, this is how you do it. You need secular psychology. You need to be told all the good things. That you're a good person. The bad thing is the environment. Seek to change your environment. Ah, you're a good person. That person wronged you. Instead of saying, no, 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 no. You fell into sin. Together. You must repent and turn. Seminaries should come from churches. As the church grows, as the men grow in stature, God is saving people by the hordes. We must be now opening seminaries, reform Baptist seminaries, teaching theology, informing the head and the heart. For life and godliness. Not to say, well, you know, the universities of the world and some wicked churches, wicked synagogues of Satan's, they are opening seminaries. The school of, what is it called? Ezekiel Guti, where people are going to be trained. What are they trained? What are they trained? Rubbish. But we who have the gospel must be the ones. And I know, dear friends, we, we were tempted to say, ah, no, no, pastor, it's too big for us. And then if you, if you say it's too big for you, then I'll say, do you know the commissioner? Do you know that the commissioner is the one who says, oh, authority in heaven. 
and on earth means that every blade of grass belongs to God. He says, go. I've given you everything. I've, I'm empowering you. You have everything. We should be teaching in our seminaries the humility of Christ, sovereignty of God, the regulative principle of worship, the simplicity of worship, the simplicity of God. We need to see this in our churches. In our church, especially. And we need to teach the world that salvation is found in no one else than the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing in this world satisfies. Nothing in this world lasts. Nothing in this world has meaning unless it is in Christ. Everything that you do, my dear friends, whether it's marriage, whether it's uh, ascending in education, it's for the glory of God. In Christ Jesus. We see that the Lord Jesus Christ himself says in verse 20, Be teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And what does he mean when he says that? What is all that I have commanded you in that context? Well, I believe that this is highlighted in Matthew 22, verse 34 to 40. Let us quickly turn there and read. We have moved from the great commission to the great commandment. Here's the word of God. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. This is the whole counsel of scripture. This is the whole counsel of scripture. Christians, a Christian must not just be left stunted in their growth. Every year, for many years, you're just the same. You're still struggling with the same sin. You're still uh, struggling with the same prayerlessness. Every year, ah, I'm struggling with prayer. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it as someone who is empowered by God through His Spirit? Have you sought the help of the church? Of brethren in the church? Say, ask, brother and sister, how do you pray? How do you do your devotions? Help me. Do you do it in the first thing in the morning? Do you do them at night? 
What, what time do you pray? How's your prayer life? Is God answering your prayer? What are you getting from the word of God? What is it? Or say, I know, I'm just, you know, yeah, I, I've got a desire to serve, but you know what? Ah, I just, just simply can't serve. Or someone who stays in a church for a very long time and they're not a member. That's, you say you're a Christian. Why are you not committing to membership to serve? There's a whole lot in the Christian life. That's what Christ is saying to his disciples. This is what you must do. I have given you the authority. In fact, all authority has been given to me. But go. Go and do this. Seek people out. When they're converted, build them up in the Lord. Love them in the Lord. Teach them how to be a man in the heart. How to be a woman in the house. How to submit. How to dress. How to conduct yourself. In many different ways. That's a great commission. In application. This is what true churches are to occupy themselves with. When, is, when one is born again, they are transported to the kingdom of light from darkness. And wherever we are, whatever we are doing, dear friends, listen to me very carefully. We must be focused on the gospel of Christ. We must have the gospel as the foremost. I know, and I know some of you may be like, ah, what are you talking about, Pastor? How, you know, how do I glorify God in that way? Well, you're a Christian. Your identity has changed. So wherever you are, you must seek to make Christ known and seek to be an ambassador of Christ. The other application is that we must avoid being inward looking and dull. And even in stunted growth, the church must be a great commission-oriented church. Always looking for ways to minister. Always looking for ways to bring in the sheaves. Always looking for conversions. We must be, we must be beside ourselves. We must be stressed to say, Lord. Well, stressed in a good way. Lord, save some for your glory. Why are you not saving that person? Lord, how come we're not having baptisms? How come we're not having... When was the last time we had someone stand here and give a testimony of salvation? We must also be looking for other opportunities to disciple others in the church. We cannot disciple others in the church when the first thing we do after church is assemble with our best friends we must for example we had a Christmas carols we were meant to be now reaching out to some of the kids some of the strangers 
But sadly, some were speaking to friends. We must be outward looking, seeking for others to come into the kingdom. We are in the kingdom. Praise be to God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Amen. What a privilege. But do I not want that for my neighbor? Do I not want that for my friends? Am I in pain and at pangs when I meet my old schoolmates and old friends and all they talk about is sin? And what do I do? I keep quiet. Oh, I join. Here's a thought to blow your mind, dear friends. What if BRBC became a hub of discipleship? Where the church is concerned with discipleship in order to send out people such that the people bring in people. Like a well-oiled and well-drilled mechanism. Where there's discipleship happening. Where a church that is active. Where the older women have seen a younger woman getting married. So they want to disciple. They want to disciple in the ways of the Lord. Where the men are identifying other younger men in the church. And are doing life on life discipleship. Where there's no longer walls between us. Where say, okay, yeah, Isusu, we are the Sundays. Isusu, we are the Mshabadopes. There's a wall. Isusu, we are the Mangises. All these walls need to be broken down. Life on life. Discipleship. Because we need each other. We need each other for life. What a lonely reality the world is. <laughs> When people in the world say, I'm all alone, best believe that person is frying alone. Loneliness, what, what? They're alone. At least here we, have, we are together. In our times of tribulation, trouble, you've got the body of Christ to say, hey, brother, I am just not doing too well. I'll pray for you. Oh, okay. How can I minister to you? What can be done? Oh, we're praying for you. We're worried about you. This is why Christ said, Go therefore. This is what he meant. God has not placed you in the job that you are in for you to feel good about yourself. But he has put you there for his glory to be a blessing in that environment, to spread the tidings around, to preach the gospel, to love God, thy neighbor, to love the people of Hillside, the people of Waterfalls, the people of Westgate. How am I a blessing in the environment that I am in? I want to end by a covenantal promise. And surely, dear friends, 
I scarcely can find more comforting words in Scripture. Verse 20b. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I simply cannot fully comprehend the comfort in these words. And to the end of the age of this world, to the end of time as we know it, I will be with you till the end of the age. This is not to ministers only, dear friends, not for pastors only. It's to the church. Listen to John Kelvin as he puts it very nicely and excellently. It is as if he had said that though the ministers of the gospel be weak and suffer the want of all things, he will be their guardian so that they rise victorious over the opposition of the world in like manner. Experience clearly shows in the present day that the operations of Christ are carried on wonderfully in a secret manner so that the gospel surmounts innumerable obstacles. This is a comfort to me, dear friends. It's a comfort to me that we have not labored in vain. We have not. When people say, well, the church is not growing. Why don't you guys make it a little lighter? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, reformed theology and the, refor- and the regulative principle of worship doesn't work in Zimbabwe. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You have been preaching for years. Where are the converts you led to Christ? And behold. I am with you to the end of the age. Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, dear friends. May our hearts be inflamed for the gospel this Christmas because of the Great Commission. And if you feel burdened by this message, run to Christ. He will aid thee he will aid thee. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful day, Lord's Day. Thank you for the great commission of Matthew 28. Such a rich text. We missed a lot. But we're trusting in you that, Lord, you would help us or you would help us to apply what has been learned as a church to know what our what our mission on this earth is is to make disciples of all nations help us to not lose this help us not to tire we pray all these things in Jesus name Amen